a sense is not something that asks you or you decide if you want to sense that thing or not. We, we fit the fittest minds with the chip inside, like a link and digitized app, which prior to this was higher than science could ever devise. This is a neural interface, we're gonna stick it in your face, till it in your brain and interlace. There's an arms war on, and we're gonna win the race, leave everything a race, bring the base. Welcome to Dangerous Minds, where we delve into the minds of biohackers, grinders, and take a closer look at the tech being implanted and developed by this community. Now, this is a special edition of DMP Tonight, a recording of a panel at the last body hacking convention this past January. And we're sharing this as a recap of great information that was presented and also as a special reminder because that same team behind Body Hacks also puts on an information security conference called InfoSec Southwest. Now this year, it'll be occurring very soon, April 7th through 9th in Austin, Texas. For more information and tickets, please go to InfoSecSouthwest.com. Now, we look forward to seeing you there at the great talks and panels, Expo Floor, the Lockpick Village, as well as Capture the Flag competition, but also the scavenger hunt, which has led to many lasting memory and, yes, tattoos. But, so again, check them out, because this team sure knows how to put on not only a good party, but also a good convention. And that is definitely InfoSecSouthwest.com. Take a look, get some tickets. It's coming soon, and we hope to see you there. But before we share this, we want to thank our sponsor, Dangerous Things, who delivers cushion gadgetry for the discerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at DangerousThings.com. If you or your organization is interested in sponsoring the efforts of Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at DangerousMinds.io and email us at info at dangerousminds.io, and we'll be glad to talk to you about it. Scott? Sure. So, hi, everyone. I'm uh, Scott Novick. I'm the uh, co-founder and chief technology officer of a company called Neosensory. We develop um, wearable devices, in this case, a vest, that's designed for taking arbitrary streams of information and mapping them to your sense of touch using vibration on your torso. We have a demo uh, over in the exhibitor area. I encourage you all to check it out. Um, right now, we focus mainly on sound and mapping that to our sense of touch. Um, and we're trying to capture and convey enough information through our sense of touch for people who have no sense of hearing to be able to understand speech through this. Um, and so this is a spin-off from my PhD work that I did with um, this neuroscientist, Dr. David Eagleman. And um, a lot of it is inspired by the brain port and the research of Paul Baki Rita um, over at uh, YCAB, or the late Baki, Paul Baki Rita. Um, and I would say the most, uh, most mind-blowing thing I've seen um, would have to be just the first time we got like a really good working prototype of our tech and let a person with no sense of hearing try it on, and we trained them up on just learning how to even just identify some words. So it could say a word without them reading my lips, and they're able to identify the word was like, that was a pretty special experience. Patricia? Um, my name is Patricia Grant, and I am the clinical research director at WeCab. And WeCab is the company that manufactures the Brainport V100 device. We are an FDA-approved device. We're considered a medical device, so we had to go through FDA approval process. Um, I have been working with the Brainport for several years now. I started off with the FDA clinical trial. Um, so one of the 
most profound things I've learned while working with this device is that the idea that vision is, occurs in the brain, that we see with our brain, that was an idea that I've heard, but um, after seeing people being able to perform visual tasks with stimulation in their, on their tongue has really taught me that it, it actually occurs in the brain, that the, the eyes are just one input and there are other um, modalities that can be used. Mark? Uh, my name is Mark. I feel like I'm kind of the black sheep of this panel here. Uh, <laughs> all these people are very accomplished. Uh, I am a PhD candidate uh, specializing in cross-cultural senses, and the different ways that various societies um, uh, use their senses to make sense of the world in different ways. Um, but in addition to that, I'm also a grinder. And as opposed to the people here who are enhancing their senses, I guess I'm more interested in confusing senses. <laughs> so a couple of things I've worked on are uh, subdural armor, and I'm currently making a device that allows you to set your uh, level of sobriety with respect to alcohol. And uh, so an interesting thing is uh, when I had subdermal on my arm, uh, which I've now taken out, uh, it uh, consisted of a non-Newtonian fluid. And so uh, what that means is when you're just uh, taking it easy, it's very pliable and bendy and malleable. Uh, but when you hit it hard, it gets really hard. Um, so when we were testing it out, if you were tentative about hitting that toolbox on the corner, it would actually hurt quite a bit. You had to go full force into it. Um, so I thought it was interesting how that changed, how you had to interact with your environment. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Livy, you, you told us about North Sense a little bit, uh, and you said you were one of the first or the second person who had it on. You're the first? Uh, and just, so, uh, we, we put it together at, at the same time. So, okay. <laughs> one of the first two. So if, if you don't know, it's... it's uh, implanted, pierced on the front of his chest right here. How much time does it take to really engage with the new sense? Um, how long does it take to become part of your reality? It's a very interesting point because uh, uh, we knew from a lot that we learned from, actually from these guys, it's interesting that we learned from him and we learned, um, that, you know, things, the things that have to do with brain change, with mind change, take a lot of time. So we didn't expect anything to happen in the first moment. But then we realized it did, because uh, the first day that we put the, the North Sense on was the day before we did a kind of a launch, an official launch, and it was in Scott's living room, the, the other guy that has one of my partners that has the North Sense. And the moment that we put it on, since that moment onwards, I remember I've been in his living room many times, but I will never forget now how the room is orientated with, a, you know, uh, uh, with the earth, so it's something that actually started working immediately. So from that moment onwards, I remember every place uh, by how it's orientated with uh, with earth. And from then onwards, as I said, now I start understanding and discovering new layers of the of the impact that the sense has on me. Um, so it's it's pretty much immediate, and it's an everyday new something that's happening. With that, and with that said, I know that it's an endless, basically, ongoing process, so I'm not expecting in a month or two or three to get to the place where I said, okay, I'm, I'm done with it, because we continue learning how to use our ears you know, and our eyes throughout all our lives. It's not an, it's not an endless, it's not an end, kind of end point process. Yeah, I hardly know where North is in my own house, so it would be great to be able to just intuitively know. <laughs> Um, Scott, you're talking about the the vest and the same thing. Um, how long does it take for somebody to come on and learn something that's complicated, like hearing, that takes us a while to bring on? Yeah. So, so, so this is 
this is pretty interesting. So this is something we're actually still trying to figure out. Um, what is the case, sort of going back to, um, I'm sorry. Live you. Li yeah, sorry? Live you. Live you, okay. I'm, I wasn't, I'm sorry if I pronounced no your name correctly. Live you. Um, there is certain information that you can get and you immediately can start to kind of understand its meaning. So for example, with the vest, it has the property that louder sounds uh, on average vibrate more on the torso. So what that means is, you know, if a car is driving by you, you can feel the vibration like growing more and more intense as the car is coming past you and as it goes away. But there's a lot more information embedded in that signal. And um, I think what we're starting to find is, so, so first of all, taking a step back and looking at um, some of the neuroplasticity and training literature, there are all sorts of these um, interesting experiments floating around out there. So for example, you have these prism goggle experiments where you put on this pair of goggles on a person and it like flips their world upside down or flips left versus right and there are all these poor, these, there are all these like poor postdocs and grad students where their professors make them wear these goggles for weeks at a time. Um, and what you find with these studies is that it's usually on the order, and these are adults, on the order of like three or four weeks for their brain to kind of naturally flip that representation around. And it's not just prison goggle studies, there's also studies where you put like fake ears on people and have them like try and like locate where sounds are coming from. Again, it's three to four weeks. There are studies, there's this uh, famous neuroplasticity researcher, um, Merznik, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, where he does these monkey studies where you um, sever the nerve of the monkey and you like look at what part of somatosensory cortex goes dark and then you see in three or four weeks it gets taken over by other regions of somatosensory cortex. So I think that's, that's sort of the, the time component to really kind of large-scale neuroplastic changes in the brain. And that's under the condition of what I would call like extreme reliability on that input. So if you're used to getting vision, and now all of a sudden you're not getting vision, but you're getting vision remapped in a totally different way, you have this kind of, you're now 100% relying on it. You're expending a lot of mental energy trying to train up on this. Sorry, this is like a really long-winded answer, no and I like tend to just get like, uh, I, I dive down. I'm interested in it, and I'm going to pretend like they are too. Uh. So, <laughs> so the short answer is we don't know yet. Um, we're in the middle of iterating over our algorithms, and what that means is every time we make an iteration, it's sort of kind of re re like resetting back to, to kind of step zero and then sending people out the door again. So it's kind of an iteration. Right now we're probably at like the two-week mark, but not the three-week Are mark. you seeing the same thing with Brainport, Patricia? Is that three or four weeks? Is that about? No, it's actually a lot quicker. Okay. And that was really surprising, is how quickly people can adapt and learn to interpret these signals. Um, we have found 10 hours is wow. sufficient for, and we do break it up over two to three days to give people time to process what they've learned, come back, you know, with questions. And this and is shoot. without a constant interface of, with the device. This right. is just like putting it on for that amount of time. Yeah, okay. so it's putting it on for two to three hours per day over a period of three to four days. Cool. And, um, and that's something that we tested when we were doing the clinical trial for the FDA is how, how much training is sufficient to, you know, in, in be able to enhance your performance. And 10 hours, it's and people can put it right back on and jump right back in. Yeah, okay. so, and we equate it to learning a new language. If you're learning how to do this, even you're able to take it home after 10 hours and use it safely and independently, but you want to practice it to, to learn more with it. So you, that we encourage practicing, just you know, treating it like a new language. Sorry, if I can um, dive in for a second. I think it also depends on sort of what you're trying I think it also depends on maybe the complexity of the task and what you're trying to get out of it. 
And I think the three to four week mark that I, and I just to clarify, the three to four week mark is like when your brain kind of has that on, on the short time period is kind of the minimum amount of time I think it takes for your brain to click and develop what you would call maybe a wholly new perception. So I think it's definitely the case that with a lot of these devices, including the vest, you can start to perform, like you can start to use this information mm -hmm. immediately, whether it's um, identifying that car going by you, whether it's per right. like performing these tasks like um, spatial relationships in, in your training paradigms, right. or, um, you know, or getting people to learn um, a mapping of a pattern of vibration that they're feeling to a word or north. But um, I don't know, maybe, maybe you can also speak to when you, you know, wore what, what, this, you immediately know where north is, but how long did, was there some, do you feel like there was some so sort of this, time at which... This is a thing I, I want to distinguish between is so like, yeah. uh, this is with north sense, it's the difference between having a compass and being fed the information and intuiting the information. Yeah, so maybe a very important uh, point to, to stand on is the difference between a, a tool and a sense, right? So. A tool, as you say, a compass, because uh, some people come to us and say, but I have a compass in my phone. I can buy a $1 compass in a, in a shop. Why do I need the north sense? So a tool is something that you, you, you consciously decide to use at a specific time because you need it or you want to, to use it. You used it. You took the compass out of, your, out of your pocket. You used it. You know where the north is. You put it back, and that's it. A sense is not something that asks you or you decide if you want to sense that thing or not. We do not decide, you know, because we are, we are now on a panel and I'm, I'm, I'm just speaking, I did not leave my eyes at home or I did not leave my sense of touch at home because I'm not using it now. It's with me all the time. My taste is in my mouth and same my north sense is with me. So that's a, that's, that's a very important uh, this, you know, difference to, to, to make. And according to what, uh, just to add a, a, a moment to what, what they were speaking about, one of the immediate experiences that I live in London, and one of the immediate experiences that I had was on the tube, on the underground. Uh, when you go on the underground, most of the time you are sure that you're going straight because you have no idea you're in this metal tube that is going that is going somewhere and you're sure that it's always going straight unless the times that you hear like really noises of a hard turn but then with the north sense suddenly the day after i sit in the tube and i feel i feel my new friend vibrating and i'm like oh okay so now we turned and i you also understand to which direction you turned and you start understanding all your journey into you know so I'm not I'm not blind, but but it's it's kind of the same the same experience because suddenly I did you know my eyes could not help me in that sp that specific moment, but there was something else that helped me understand. So Mark, uh, you didn't mention earlier you've got several magnet implants. Um, oh, a lot of people describe that as having a, a, a sixth sense. I mean we don't. I got you. We, yeah. <laughs> that, how how long did it take to in, intuit those signals? How obvious are those? When did it become a part of your boring, everyday, intuitive experience? Uh, I do not find it boring at all to this day. I'm trying to remember how long I've had them, actually. Uh, I think at least a year and a half since my first one. Uh, but they actually feel differently as well. Well, I have three of them, and then one of them I don't feel at all. It was an experimental coating. So we kind of just put it in the meat to see how it did. Uh, I have one that's an M31 that's a small disc, and then I have a rod. And so uh, the disc is quite good at feeling shapes of things, and the rod is kind of directional, so depending on the lines of flux coming out of the electromagnetic field, 
I can either not feel it at all or I can feel it actually quite a bit stronger. Um, so what Mark is talking about is uh, if you don't know, people, some people have magnets implanted in their hands and we're effectively using them to, they vibrate when you get near uh, electrical signals or electrical fields. Um, do you want to explain more about this? Sure. Um, for the most part, it's just a really fun thing uh, because it, <laughs> it adds a sense of discovery to your environment. Um, there are certain places in San Francisco you can kind of feel when the tram is about to start even though it hasn't started yet. Uh, so that does, like, if you, if you want to have, like, a slight super weak superpower, you can tell when it's going to move so you can adjust your, your balance accordingly. Um, uh, sometimes people find very surprising just sheets of electromagnetic fields that they don't know why they're there. Uh, it happens in banks sometimes, just in the middle of nowhere. And I mean, your guess is as good as mine as why it's actually there or what's causing it. P Patricia, how, how many senses is too many? Uh, can we overwhelm ourselves with too many inputs in this way? Do you have um, a lot of information in this area? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say no right okay. now. I think that um, kind of the cool idea about these different technologies we're talking about is that um, eventually we'll want to pair them together to gain a greater, you know, perception of the world. So um, right now, we just have people using the brain port with, with a cane, which is a very conventional um, type of device, mm -hmm. and, or with a, a dog guide, and um, they're able to function well like that. So I think that we can, or, or even if they're using an app on their phone for, um, that might, like a GPS type thing, um, they're able to use that together. So I think just, you know, a few devices are being pulled together, a few senses are being pulled together, but I definitely think there's potential for, for adding more and um, combining. It's a, it's, a it's a learning process, mm -hmm. you know, so it's the it's same, same like uh, asking someone how many things can you learn at the same time. There is a certain capacity of things that you can deal with to really get to a place where it becomes effective. So um, uh, same probably with, uh, you know, with, with new senses and artificial senses. You, you, you have one, you get used to it, you learn it, it learns you, you, you know, you have a whole new relationship with your new body part and... Uh, uh, from then onwards, you know, you can add to it, and the thing that you will add, the next thing will not only add to the basic human that you were born, but it will add to the basic humor that you were born plus the sense that you had before. So, you know, so if you, if you, people come and, and ask us, so when is the next thing sense coming out? Um, and one of the things that we say is that we don't intend at this stage to spray the market with senses because we will do more harm because people will get you know confused from things. So it's it's a it's a process. It's not you know it's that it's not taking years. But well, what what is I'll throw this out to everybody? What is coming up in the next couple of years? Is there anything that you're excited about that is almost done that research is being done in this space on? You're touching questions that we cannot answer. Probably. Oh, well, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if, if you wanted to tell us if there are other senses on the um, horizon. Of course, there is a lot. There is a, there is a few things that we work on, and uh, uh, some of them we research, and some of them are in a more advanced uh, place of... But because... So we, we are a company, and we are not in a, a research-only place, so... People bought this thing from us, and soon they are going to get it. And it's going to be a, a unique first time when... Because you have a few amazing people in the world, like Moon and Neil, uh, who are our partners in, in Cyborgness and one of the uh, part of the co-founders. But 
Neil is the only person who has that specific sense and Moon is the only person who has her specific sense. Now, you first time, you're going to have a big bunch of people having the same sense. So there is a whole research stage that, um, that is going to happen and we're going to learn from it, they're going to learn from it, and then we move, we move onwards. Well, it sounds like we've got a lot to learn after everybody puts North Sense on their chest. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, Scott, I know you come at this from an engineering perspective. Like, what, what kind of hurdles do we have to deal with designing devices when we're coming up with these sorts of things because they are new? Yeah, I think there's a lot of kind of fundamental questions that need to be answered um, if you have a specific application in mind. So I know a lot of people are developing. I mean, at the end of the day, what we're developing could be considered a bit of a, a platform. There's going to be an API. Developers can jack in wherever they want. I'm sure it's the same thing for the, um, is there an API for the, the North Sense? for people to plug in other things other um, than North? Or no, no, not that they right now it's North. Okay, um, but what fun people fundamentally need to understand every step of the process when trying to give themselves a new sense. So just by way of example, in the case of let's say sound for your sense of touch, um, it's not as simple as just say, okay, let's just take this audio file and like feed it to a speaker and put it against your skin if you want people to be able to understand speech. So you have to understand, um, you have to start at like, what's your source information? Okay, it's sound. What's the task that I want people to be able to perform with this source information? Well, I want people to understand speech. The second you say that, that immediately gives you a number of constraints you have to work in. You immediately know how much of that sound information you need to capture and convey to your senses. And then, Going down, then on the other side, you have your skin, and your skin has all sorts of these other properties and constraints to it. So your skin has various different types of receptors, and they all have certain different constraints themselves. So you have different receptors that can sense heat or pain or vibration, which is what we use. And you have to understand these receptors that, that capture vibration information. The receptors themselves, this is the big idea, they don't care what information they're actually capturing, conveying. They're just designed for capturing a specific type of information and your brain is what's figuring it out. But you have to make sure that the receptors are capturing enough of that information. And then in between you have the interface. So this would be the vest in this case, um, where we have these vibration actuators. And you need to make sure that those actuators are actually working within the range of your receptors. So you have to model every stage. What's the information you care about? You know, how fast, for example, can these actuators actuate? And how fast can all of your different receptors pick up information? So that's why if you want to design effective, effective devices, you can't just take um, a speaker and place it against the skin playing speech. Otherwise, most of that information is going to get thrown out and averaged away. So you have to really think about the math that goes behind this and modeling each, each stage. That's my whole do we have any other similar input from, from you guys? I know you've got decades behind some of this stuff, mm -hmm. which is way ahead of most of the rest of us. So. Right. Um, yeah, so at this point, because we are in the market and we're selling the device to the end user, it's important for us as we're further developing the de device that there's a good balance between user experience and the actual development. So we're constantly thinking about how, how is this enhancing everyone's quality of life, the people who are using it. How are they able to better perform activities? How can we train them to do it? What other features can we add? Um, so those are questions that we're constantly answering or tr trying to answer, um, but we're always asking ourselves. And you know, even at the end of uh, our clinical trials where we're doing research and development, we 
always go back to the end user and we do a, you know, a focus group and talk about um, what was your experience like in a dream world, you know, what would this look like? because we want to take that feedback and then further develop in that way so it's user-driven and not just you know, what we're coming up in the lab and then we're all saying, oh, this is so cool, but it's not really <laughs> it it's not doing anything for anyone. So we always want to make sure that we are really enhancing people's um, independence. That's our goal. Can I also dive in real quick? Yeah. I think that's super important. That's the other fourth major dimension, especially when it comes to sensory augmentation. Like mm -hmm. training is such a huge component. It's not like just, you can't just go out and design some product that just immediately works. Right. People have to be willing to put in the time and mental energy to use this stuff. Right. So the user designs super is like, like half of it. Yeah, I don't yeah. So I uh, oh, I, Can I jump in on this too? Go ahead, then uh, I want what, to throw what, a question out to the audience. Sure, what I'm most excited about is actually getting these products and breaking them. Um, as far as setting up like confusing and, and, and uh, environments where you get a sense of discovery when I found out who was on this panel. I was like, oh, I'd really love to get a hold of these things. And uh, in, maybe instead of north or uh, set up waypoints, right? I have a friend who does research in locative media and especially in, uh, in particular with uh, uh, mobile um, tourism uh, applications. And so she was doing research recently in New Zealand and then there was an earthquake. So everywhere she went, it was just ruined. Everything uh, couldn't happen. So what you could actually end up doing is uh, setting up waypoints and creating sort of obstacle courses for people to follow if they can, instead of following north, they're following, like, trying to find some way to get through something. Uh, I, I think, think that could be an interesting way to make people run into each other. Uh, there are lots of good ways to, okay. to communicate using other senses other than, other than hearing, and we'll certainly get there. Mm -hmm. uh, can I also dive into that? <laughs> Does anybody have any questions real quick that they're really excited about asking? Uh, do that, and then we'll go to you. Oh, so I'll dive in real quick. Go ahead and dive oh, in. Oh, yeah, I think that's the, other, that's the other half of it. So mm -hmm. I think when I, when I was talking about my, my stack of thinking through these devices, I was like, you have to know like, kind of what your starting goal is. But the other half of it is like, what if you don't know what your starting goal is? Right. And that's, I think that's, another, that's also another way of looking at where you're throwing information at yourself and then seeing like, mm -hmm. oh, is, it's more of an exploratory thing. Like, is there useful information here? Sort of in the same way with the, the magnetic implants, right? Like right. when people started putting those in, they had no idea that, oh, I'm going to try and design to, I don't know, feel these weird electromagnetic walls and banks or something. But yeah. you get all these sorts of strange discoveries mm -hmm. also when you just okay. jack in information streams and you're not necessarily trying to optimize for them. Yeah, I'm curious. One of the, oh, wow. yeah, the questions. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Can I add Just something? Quickly, yeah. yeah. So one of the interesting things that we are looking forward in the future to see, so um, the, 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 there are changes. So at this stage, for example, myself and Scott, uh, sometimes I call him and I say, you don't believe this happened. And he says, oh, that's exactly what happened to me today as well. So there is a, there is a first level of of, let's call it generic changes that are going to happen to anyone that's going to have a specific sense. But in the next stage, your personality comes into it as well. So as we don't, as we don't all, all of us use our ears in the same way, because some of us uh, use our ears to create music, and some of, it, some of us use our ears to listen to music. So same will be with, with artificial senses. So, there is that the generic things that are going to happen to everybody, but from a moment onwards, there's going to be, okay, I took it to this direction, and you took it to this direction, and, and the impacts are going to be slightly different based on who you are. Do you want to go ahead? Yeah. Is this on? Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, my question is for Leave You. Yes, please. Um, so Neil Harbison from the Cyborg Nest, 
his color sight didn't happen in a day or a week or a year. Um, his current arrangement was arrived at through a series of iterations on, on the technology, um, which he had a lot of direct control over since he was the, the first and I think only user. So I wonder if you have a feedback model for users of the North Sense, and I wonder how you get feedback about its operation. So but if I got your question right, so... Uh, so right now you and Scott are talking back and forth. Is there, once you release this to everybody, is there a model, is there a form? Oh, yeah, right. so I, said, I said we're going to launch a, a, a big research that is, is going to involve everybody who will want to be part of it the, out of the people that uh, uh, bought the North Sense. Um, and again, it's an exciting place for the science community and for us as well because as you say, Neil Harbison is an amazing person, but he's the only person that has that specific sense. So now there's going to be a, a group of people having the same thing. So you could start seeing, okay, where, which are the places where we all have the same impact, which are the places where uh, things become different, or which are the places where we thought there's going to be impact and there is no impact. Uh, so definitely, yes, there is a... There is a there, that's the, the, for me, that's the exciting, that was always the exciting part at the end of the day to see the big impact because we are creating a very personal product, but the idea is that that notion of having artificial senses is something that's going to change humanity in general as, as us all. So starting to understand the bigger picture is the exciting part. So what I really want to know about is do you already have a model for how that interaction works, or is it just kind of a free and open landscape? The, the interaction of the, of the research? Or? Right. So how do people who have the North Sense uh, supply information back to you, and how do you so uh, we have a, we have a it? We have a team of, of, uh, of researchers that uh, are going to work with them, and uh, um, the idea is that it, uh, the research is going to be built on three stages. There is the... Um, uh, I would call it the, the physical stage. So there was this um, experiment or test done with cab drivers in London. I don't know how a few people know, but those uh, uh, cabs, in the, the famous black cabs in London, to be, a, to be a driver or one of these ones, you have to go through probably one of the hardest schools in the world. You learn about three years, and I think maybe I'm wrong, but only around 39% of the people uh, graduate or get the license. And... Um, then they started uh, scanning the brains of these people and they saw that there was a physical change in their brains. So a place called the hippocampus physically grew and, and changed uh, the shape of it. So there, there are going to be, uh, you know, so we're going to check if any of that will happen to the people that, that are owning the North Sense, including ourselves. Um, then there is more the behavioral part, let's call it, or the psychological part to, to start to understand, you know, uh, things like I was, I was telling now, different, different impacts on your life. Um, and the third uh, pillar or layer of the research is to try to understand, and again, this will be a part of shooting, not in the dark, but shooting very far and try to understand, again, what will be the implications on the bigger picture as humanity how humanity with artificial senses and with uh, additions to the body is going to look in a few years from now. 
How does this reflect on some of your research? You said you, you talk about how different societies interact with our senses in different ways, and we've referred to it briefly that we, yeah, there's a vast spectrum of the world that we don't perceive because we just don't have the senses to do it. And as we take on those, we're obviously going to have different cultural reactions to those things. So. Yeah, uh, one thing I'm interested in is uh, how you use senses differently over time and in different circumstances. And I think that um, as we get to use these things more ubiquitously, uh, that we're going to start finding new ways that they get information into us. Um, so I can't remember the, the citation off the top of my head. I know I saw a talk about it. Um, uh, talking about how, I, I'm pretty sure it was Polynesian sailors would navigate when it was cloudy by strapping someone, usually a blind person, to the mast. And because of the depth of the ocean there, they could actually navigate where they were going based on that alone. And it was a skill that you developed over decades. And so I think that after decades is when we're really going to get to uh, start understanding the real nuances of what it is that we're doing here. Cool. Any other questions from the audience? We'll go. And then we'll get you next. Um, we only have a few more minutes. So. Can I drink your water? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I want to know uh, from any or, or all of you um, how you think uh, each of these senses and technologies might interact with infants and children. So mm. have any mm. infants or children used the brain port? And, and what do you think mm. would happen if an infant grew up with the north sense or with a magnetic field uh, ability? Would they, would they gain something? You're so spot on because I think I, I, we, I'm very interested in that place. Uh, so I think if you look at the education system, uh, uh, so I grew up in a place where, in the age where the internet grew up, uh, and uh, we did not have the internet, so we had books that you had to go, and you have, the, the, the whole idea of a school was to gain knowledge. Now the, the whole idea of a school doesn't, doesn't go anywhere to gain knowledge, you know, physical knowledge, because you can learn things if you develop curiosity in a person, he can go and learn things by himself, so you don't need someone to force him to, to learn something. So I, I, I believe that schools and education in the future will become places where it's not about learning in which year World War II started, but exactly to learn to experience the world through new senses, through new things, through new abilities. So you'll basically, once you graduate or you become a grown-up, you are a person that has a, a much wider range of abilities and understanding of the place that you are a part of than when you started the education system. So I think that kids and the young ages are, are extremely important and uh, to get there. Any of the rest of y'all want to refer to that, kids, infants? Yeah, um, so at the Brainport we have just started working with kids. Um, we think that kids will probably be our, our target audience. Um, in the future because they're, you know, they're like sponges and are able to pick up on things a lot quicker. And also we're hoping that, you know, over time wearable technology, something like the Brainport is going to become the norm. So if you start with kids and introduce it in the classroom now, you know, when they're in kindergarten, once they're in high school, they're not going to feel so self-conscious. That's, you know, another thing about technology that they, that people have to wear. Um, how, how do they feel? Do they feel like they're fitting in society? And it's, you know, thankfully it's not just about disabilities. They're not just assistive anymore. I mean, we're hearing on the panel today is that this is becoming the norm. But if you introduce it into the school systems, not only are you starting to teach some of these things to blind children, but you're also teaching them, you know, to integrate with their, their friends and to be more social. So um, that's definitely where we're headed. We have applied for funding to work with kids. Um, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, <laughs> we'll be able to do that so that we could, we could start testing some of these things, you know, more scientifically and, and gaining more evidence.
So, so you mentioned the, uh, the hippocampus as mm -hmm. part of it. So, how much of you know prior to integrating these technologies into people, uh, do you do like brain scans to get a baseline, and then do another brain scan later to see if there's any changes going on? How, how much of that is actually being done with your guys' research? So it's going to again uh, myself and uh, Scott, uh, one again uh, one of the co-founders of NorthSense, we've. We've uh, fitted the NorthSense on our on our body a month ago, and in about two three weeks, I hope we're gonna start uh, shipping the NorthSenses to all the people that pre-order them. Um, so very soon after, uh, everything is gonna happen. Uh, all the research stage is gonna is gonna kick off from from day zero. Um, yeah. For us, we haven't started with, F we haven't done anything like fMRI or brain scans yet, but um, I think as soon as we're feeling really comfortable about things and we start getting kind of really, really great results from the field research, we're probably gonna run some fresh people and do these sorts of studies. But I know, I think the brain port yeah. with the TDU, there's been a number of fMRI yeah. studies with those which are pretty pretty cool. Yeah, they so are. Can speak to some yeah, of so um, what has been found is when a person initially is training, um, the, the tactile areas of the brain are are activated, but after they learn how to train, then the visual cortex, which is responsible for vision, is activated. So we know that the way that um, people who are blind, this is only in people who are blind, it is not the same for people who are sighted, but people who are blind, the way they're processing this information on the tongue is the same way that vision is processed. So it's, it's been you know, very interesting findings in that. We've got time for one more question. Uh, so specifically for people who have new senses and sensory augments that are kind of always on, like the North Sense, what happens when you're asleep or otherwise unconscious? Oh, so the North Sense knows when I go to sleep and it goes to sleep with me and it wakes up with me together. Uh, so it doesn't, doesn't bother me in any way uh, while sleeping. Have uh, you tried leaving it on? And what, see what oh, happens? I sleep with it all every day. Okay. I don't, I, so uh, I... As I brush my teeth in the morning, I take the North Sense off for a second, I clean it if I need to, and I put it back as I put the toothbrush back. But except that, it's always there. And uh, um, I, I shower with it, I do everything with it, it's waterproof. So I don't, you don't have the need to take it off anytime. It's uh, completely comfortable. It's, you know, I don't, I don't feel it, I don't know, it's there. Unless it's vibrating because I'm facing north. I can add that uh, I've uh, had dreams where I used my magnetic sense in the dream. I know there's been a few other people that have had similar experiences. Does it, in your dream, is it, you use it the same way you would in waking life, or does uh, it? For me, yeah, that's how it's been, yeah. Well, that's actually one of the things I think Neil says about really it coming to intuit a new sense is that once you start dreaming in it, then you know it's really a part of who you are at that point. We're running low on time, but I did want to tell folks here, uh, if this kind of stuff interests you, there are projects and ways that you can get involved. Um, hearables are becoming a thing right now. We didn't really talk a lot about putting in new sensory data through our ears, but we can process a ton of stuff through your ears. And so uh, there's a lot of stuff on the horizon of, of feeding new sensory data through hearables. There's a project similar to this called Phantom Terrains. Uh, Frank Swain and another guy were on it, where he walked around and, and could hear Wi-Fi. Um, and then there's a couple things. If you have uh, Android, there's Chromaphone with a K, uh, and that lets you um, hear colors, kind of like Neil's setup is, but uh, it's not quite as, as interesting, but um, there's a little grid line on the, the phone, 
and you can it, it changes pitch if there's a different color. And then there's a similar thing to the brain port called the voice, um, which has a scanning frequency and tries to let you see through through your ears. So if you're interested in this, there's a ton of stuff that's actually happening in this space. There's a lot of research that's been doing it. Um, but I'm sure they'd love to talk to you some more. I know um, Patricia and Scott are, are actually in the hub this weekend. So please step by, try on the vest, um, go touch the brain port and put it in your mouth if she'll let you and you really want to. She won't let you. She won't let you. Okay. <laughs> but thanks for coming. Uh, appreciate having you out. Yeah. Now, a special thanks to the team at Body Hacks and ISSW for sharing this recording with us. And remember, if you're able to make it out to Austin, Texas for either one of these conventions, please feel free to do so because Body Hacking Con and InfoSec Southwest both are worth the trip, worth the money for the experience for the networking. So our loyal listeners, if you would like to know more about this journey we take weekly, check out the DMP homepage, dangerousminds.io, or go to facebook.com forward slash dangerousmindspodcast. Keep in mind, events like these are listed on the DMP Google Calendar. And if you have an event that you would like to have added, please email us about it at info at dangerousminds.io. Now, all of us want to thank you for joining us as we explore further the tech and the people behind it within this fastly growing community of biohacking, grinding, implantable technology, as well as information security today. So please feel free to reach out to us with questions or comments, and perhaps one day we'll talk to you about the work and or projects you're do exploring and developing. Till next week, seek the spark. Scientific progression is steamrolling, there's no preventing it going ahead. Now we're intrinsically linked with technology, biology as we know it is dead.